Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF podcast. It's Friday, November 10th. Last week, BOF touched down in Mumbai, India to participate in the second annual Beauty and You Awards created by the Estee Lauder Company. I had the opportunity to sit down with some of the people responsible for shaping the definition of beauty in India over the last decade. Anaitha Shroff Adhijanya, the former fashion director of Vogue India, her former colleague Bandana Tawari, the fashion features director of Vogue India, and the breakout Indian model of the day, Lakshmi Menon. We looked back at the launch issue of Vogue India in 2007 and dissected how the definition of beauty in India is shifting. I think what was wrong with the cover was the skin color had changed as far as all the Indian skin tone was concerned. And the fact that the hair texture was made into some, it looked like a cover about homogeneity actually towards the end. I mean, it did not really nail diversity, did not nail India. It was trying to sort of like package India into some kind of like a modern context without any of its own culture in play. This is a 5,000 year old culture of great style and heritage. So we had to do things to tell the outside world that Let me tell you about what our cultural heritage of style and fashion is that has existed over time. There's no research on women with skin of our color. It's all westernized research, which is then put into product making or whatever. And I feel they underestimate the power of the beauty revolution that's happening here. I think, honestly, if I were to say more than a fashion revolution, it's a beauty revolution. Then, to go a bit deeper, I had a conversation with one of India's biggest Bollywood stars, Katrina Kaif, who founded K-Beauty, India's most successful celebrity beauty brand. 
I got her take on the shifting definition of beauty in India and learned some of her secrets to entrepreneurial success. I wanted everyone to see a representation of themselves and also what kind of person you are. You know, maybe you're really ultra glamorous, maybe you're just casual, maybe you're plus size, maybe you're thin, maybe you're super thin. I wanted that representation to be there on the platform and for it to be a place where you're getting high performance makeup, but you're not intimidated. These two conversations will run back to back and provide great insight into how beauty is transforming in the world's most populous country. Here are Anaitha Shroff Adhajanya, Bandana Tawari, Lakshmi Menon, and Katrina Kaif on the BOF podcast. We at the Business of Fashion are absolutely thrilled to be here in Mumbai tonight, partnering with ELC's new incubation ventures for Beauty and You. It's been an absolute pleasure over the last 24 hours to meet so many of the finalists and to see all of the passion and hard work and dedication that's gone into setting up and building your businesses. As an entrepreneur myself, I know how much hard work it takes to build something from scratch, and I know how much you have to believe in what you're building. There is no better time to think about building businesses in India than now. South Asians are rightfully taking our place on the global stage as both consumers and creators of world-class beauty. And so we've invited a group of incredible South Asian women, and by the way, every single one of them is a South Asian woman, to talk to us all across the evening tonight, to share their expertise, so we can learn from all of them. And our first conversation is about reimagining Indian beauty. And joining me are three women who have played such an important role in defining Indian beauty, each in their own ways, and they were all indeed part of the Vogue India story. Back in 2007, Vogue India debuted its first cover featuring six women, the Australian model Gemma Ward, front and center, framed by two Bollywood actors, Priyanka Chopra and Bipasha Basu, and then inside the gatefold, hidden slightly away, were Priti Zinta, also a Bollywood actor, framed by two models, Monica Kangana and the amazing Lakshmi Menon, who is sitting with us here today. This was actually, if you think about it, the first projection of Indian beauty on the global stage. And I wanted to start our conversation with these three illustrious women to just reflect a little bit on that cover. Anaita, I want to start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about what was the thinking behind that cover? I, I we'll get to how things have changed, but I want you to take yourself back inside the editorial conversations. Like, what were you all thinking when you thought about that cover, those six women, the casting? Okay, I'm going to start by saying I didn't style that cover. Right. Just so it's clear. But the choices of the women, I thought at the time, was quite a calculated decision. We wanted to show the mix of Indian and international, hence the international supermodel. Of course, Bollywood rules in India, so the actors. And then two beautiful, gorgeous Indian-looking models. So I feel in that sense, it was quite a good mix of people. I know how it could be perceived later, but that was the intention. And I think... That's how the cover came so, out. So that kind of covers the casting. Yeah. I was doing some research today, and I looked at that cover. I looked at that cover, and I was thinking about how that cover 
would be received today. So Bandana, I want to go to you. But thinking with today's lens, with the way we're thinking about beauty in India today, when we think about changing notions of beauty when it comes to age, when it comes to gender, when it comes to ethnicity and skin color, how do you think about that cover today with today's eyes? In many ways, I feel it is more genuine than the hashtag culture that we are born into. Now, with the hashtag, it's a shortcut. We were the first ones. In fact, may I say this, Anita, you know, because I'm a writer. She is the stylist. She worked with the photographers and the models to put that up front at a time when we did not have the hashtag culture. So we didn't come from a place of disingenuous implications. This was the way we wanted to show. So I want to interrupt you for a second. When you say hashtag culture, tell us a bit about what's going through your head. What do you mean by hashtag culture? The hashtag culture, the woke generation, it feels a bit of a shortcut where you haven't actually fought the long battle to reach a certain point where we have given the younger generations the platform to make it into a hashtag generation. It's, it's a fact. I have walked the streets for LGBTQ rights when being gay was not legit in this country. And now, you know, when you have a young person come and say, oh, but you know, you don't know how to say the alphabet the right way. I was like, did you walk the street? I did. So there is this sort of appropriation as if time doesn't matter, as if a journey so doesn't So basically matter. what you're saying, Bandana, is in order for us to achieve or arrive at the point today where we are thinking about beauty in more broad ways, in more expansive ways, in more inclusive ways, a lot of work had to be done along the way to get here. Today, beauty is about diversity. Like, every alphabet has to be acknowledged. And every alphabet, LGBTQ+, has a certain look, that has a certain beauty paradigm. So we can't take away sexuality from beauty or the perception of what is beautiful. Yeah. So we think that people don't exist within a context, a yeah. social context, a cultural context, a political context. But and you very carefully avoided my question, so I want to go back to it. Because... I'm saying now, yes, there was a lot of hard work done over the last 15 years or so to expand the notion of beauty. But looking at that cover today, it, I think it, does, it was you know, brilliant. I, it was brilliant because in a naivety, in our innocence of representation, before we knew the words, before we knew the terminology, it was that kind of like naive, genuine, we were part of that world sure. which started. Sure. I mean, the intention was good. And I think the casting to have, to think about it in terms of like representation of different elements of our culture in India, which I think what drives interest. Clearly Bollywood has to have a presence. Clearly there's like fashion models. Why don't you ask Lakshmi? She well, has no, no. curly so hair. Like, Lakshmi, you were on that cover, right? And you and I had a little chat earlier and I showed you that cover. And I said, that skin on that cover doesn't look like the beautiful... Absolutely. I think, I think what was wrong with the cover was the skin color had changed as far as all the Indian skin tone was concerned. 
and the fact that the hair texture was made into some... It looked like a cover about homogeneity, actually, towards the end. I mean, it did not really nail diversity, did not nail India. It was trying to sort of, like, package India into some kind of, like, a modern context without any of its own culture in play. But on the other hand, we did a story that was the inside story, the features. Everybody would call me and they'd be like, the cover was whatever, but this inside stuff that you've done, the feature, you've knocked it out of the park. And right. that's what really India is, and that's who we are, and that truly represents what Vogue India should truly is. Right. And we hope that that is what Vogue India will be okay. in the future. So the cover that's told the real story of Indian beauty was tucked in on the inside. And Vandana, I believe your words were attached to that story. Tell me about the story. So just to put a context, so I'm not a stylist, I'm not a photographer, I'm not in charge of the visual language. That's Nighty, Anita's, that's a fiefdom. I'm just a writer. So at the time when Vogue launched, and by the way, I'm very grateful that we all worked in Vogue, but at the time, it was like when Vogue arrives in India, that's when we show you what style is, what fashion is, and be like, this is a 5,000-year-old culture of great style and heritage. So... We had to do things to tell the outside world that, let me tell you about what our cultural heritage of style and fashion is, that it's existed over time. Just like you want to bring in all your legacy brands and, you know, you want to do this and that. So this was a story which was about, it started with jewelry. Actually, let me rephrase that. It was about erogenous zones of the body the way the world looks at it from the Western perspective, and the way we Eastern people look at it, right? So the Western world is very much about your bosom, your butt, and what have you. But you look at erogenous zones through history of India. It is the nape of your neck. It is your anklet. It is the fingers. It is your mangtika. It is... So it's completely different. And... Of course, I orchestrated the story, but to give it gravitas, because this is going to be read by an international community, I got an academic in the jewelry world who's written books, coffee table books. And I said, please, write about the erogenous zones defined by jewelry in India. And of course, then comes Nighty, and we decide it's going to be Lakshmi and Kamal Sidhu, who's going to be shot like Kama Sutta girls in Goa by Prabhu It was an extraordinary Okay, so this shoot. is the point when I'm going to hand it over to Anaita and say, like, this idea that Indian beauty is about hints, you know, it's not about flesh. How did you decide to take that notion of more, like, an Indian gaze, not a white gaze on beauty, and show that through the imagery? And why did you choose Lakshmi? Let me start with why I chose Lakshmi. Okay. Because I've been in, Laksh- in love with Lakshmi for many years. I mean, before Vogue, she was also on the first cover of L'Officiel India. So we've been quite uh, diverse and inclusive and adoring of her beauty. But, you know, we actually traveled to Goa for this shoot. It's really interesting. And it didn't stop raining. So we actually did what was meant to be an outdoor, erotic, beautiful, erogenous shoot inside a suite. I had just carried like colored silks. We use that. And so it's just their beautiful skin, Lakshmi and Kamal. And 
Indian jewelry, like ethnic, old, vintage, beautiful pieces, which we put on different parts of the body. I mean, there's a shot of Lakshmi's back. Everyone has seen that. It's just a braid with different earrings on it. I mean, for me, it's like the epitome of style, beauty, sensuality. And I think it went beautifully with Bandhu's story. So it was also a freedom because I think it was a space where the Western powers didn't know what I was meant to do. So we were left to be ourselves. And we were ourselves and we celebrated it. Right. So looking back now, if I'm going to be super blunt about it, should that have been the cover story? Like the first reflection? Absolutely. Yeah. Why? Because I think that was truly the representation of what Indian Vogue could have been as its first issue versus a kind of like a tokenism of include, I mean, like bringing these people together and having a non-Indian perspective and a non-Indian team shooting it, styling it, doing the hair and makeup, all of it. Because if this is going to be your debut issue, you have to include that country's, I mean, the talent, everybody. Right. And that's what makes it Indian Vogue. And that's where we missed it. Okay, so that kind of covers that debut issue. Right. And of course, we've talked about the white gaze and like having kind of a Western perspective on Indian beauty. But I think we also need to be honest about our own culture. And there are limitations on beauty also coming from here. And I want to talk really directly about colorism. You know, I was sitting next to someone at dinner last night who remained nameless, but I learned that something like two thirds of the Indian beauty industry today is still driven, from a revenue perspective, is still driven by skin whitening products. Two thirds of the entire industry. And if you look at every single major beauty brand in the country, they are still mostly selling and making money from skin whitening products. And Lakshmi, we talked about your face on that debut cover having clearly been changed in post-production. Absolutely. Talk to me about the challenges that you faced early on in your career here in India, simply because you have this beautiful, rich, well, melanated skin. <laughs> yes. I did not work much in India as a fashion model because there was no scope for me. That was a time when there were girls who were coming in from South Africa, sort of like light-skinned Indian women, you know, from, you know, that, that was really the trend at that point. And that's how I started working in Paris and then eventually New York. But having said so, I was also in that, that mid-not, so, you know, uh, fashion business at that point was also very white-centric in its casting. I mean, if you remember. Even in the West. Even yeah. in the West. So there were like literally four or five of us. I mean, I was perhaps the only Indian girl at that point that time and there were a few you know there was Jordan Dunn there was Cecily Lopez and there was Chanel Iman you know they were, they were the, literally like the four or five like girls of color who were like walking the runway and booking campaigns but at the same time I was also offered a beauty contract by a major beauty player in America and um, they wanted me to sort of sign a global contract which also included whitening cream and I was absolutely against it. I said, listen, I've been really vocal about how I feel about whitening creams coming from a country like India and our colonial hangover. There is no way that I can represent that for you. And therefore I had to walk away from the contract because they were unwilling to change that. 
For a model, by the way, back at that time, to walk away from a big beauty contract, that's, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, but yeah. I also, I, I like to sleep well at night, so that was yeah. a choice that I had. Right. At the end of the day, it's about your values, it's about your principles. Yeah. And, you know, that's what you put out there for other young people who are in the business. I mean, it's not always about the money. It's also about who you are and yeah. how you want to put yourself out there, especially coming from a country like India, you know, who's had a huge colonial past. Yeah. And how are you stepping out into the world now? I mean, that's what really matters. And especially in the business of beauty or in fashion, I mean, you have to hold yourself well. You have to... You have to maintain your dignity. I mean, nobody can dictate that for you. I mean, that's what it really is. So I, I want to conclude, because we're, we're running out of time, but let's come to today and where Indian beauty, the way it needs to be projected to the world, right? If we think about that cover and we've reflected on it now, and thank you all for being so honest, as we think about what image we want the world to understand not just within the borders of India or in South Asia, but globally. Anait, I'll start with you. Like, what's the one message you want to send to the global community about what Indian beauty means today? So I feel like, you know, we were judging these awards earlier today. And the one thing that came out repeatedly was that there's no research on women with skin of our color. It's all westernized research, which is then put into product making or whatever. And I feel... They underestimate the power of the beauty revolution that's happening here. I think, honestly, if I were to say more than a fashion revolution, it's a beauty revolution. Women are finding tutorials, products. I mean, I work on so many beauty campaigns, and I'm fortunate to feel that there's a direction we need to give, and I think the world needs to see that. I mean, even internationally on the runway, like earlier, we'd be able to identify one girl or two girls, but now even I don't know the names of all the Indian girls. So the Indian girls are everywhere, and people are appreciating our beauty. So I think the beauty business needs to take so they need So they need to back yeah. up the image that Correct. they're taking from India with proper research. Someone told me today, just before, only 1% of the global research in the beauty industry is focused on South Asians. And we make up something like 25% of the global population. So that's your advice. Lakshmi, what about you? What's the one message you want the world to understand about Indian beauty and what it stands for? I think when you look at India as a country, from the north to the south, east to the west, we're so different looking. So you can't have just one kind, you know, be it dark skin, light skin, you know, whatever your facial features are, you know, it's, it's, it's so different. I mean, I think what they need to know about India is that it is diverse in its culture, in its physical type, in so many different ways. I mean, it, to just reduce India to one or two faces, it's absolutely unfair. There's just so much out there. Yeah. So there's not just one India. There is not one there's India. Many India Indians. is an amalgamation of many Indias. Exactly. You know what I mean? Many different yeah. states, exactly. many different... And that's what we need to celebrate. Yeah. You can't just use one part of it and say that this is India. There's yeah. so much to it. And that is the beauty of this country. And that's the only thing I can say. Okay. Vandana, you get the last word. If you want a message for people to understand about beauty in India, what is it? I'm from the Northeast, so I'm going to give you the real shit. So this whole idea of colorism or whatever is such a Western nuance thing here. You're either black or white or whatever. 
We've lived in a country where we've always said that diversity is immense, you know? It's not... How many times have we been telling our friends, this is not a country, it's a continent? I come from Sikkim. I'm Nepali from the mountains. You wouldn't be able to tell who looks like the person from Mizoram and who looks like the person from Nagaland. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference. So it's not black and white. This is not just about being brown and being accepted as brown. You have seven sisters of the East, seven incredible states that border Nepal, Bhutan, Burma, Cambodia, Tibet, and that's part of India. And we've forgotten that. So we keep talking about brown and celebrating brown. There's so many shades of brown and yellow and white and whatever. Okay. That's what I want so to say. So basically, international community, do your research. There's not just one India, there's many Indias. <laughs> and don't forget that there's an expansiveness of shades that we need to include. It's not just brown. Thank you, Anaita, Lakshmi, Vandana. Now, here's my conversation with Katrina Kaif on the secrets to her entrepreneurial success and the changing definition of beauty in India. I get to have the absolute pleasure of uh, having a conversation with Katrina, and we've, we've only just started getting to know each other these past few months, but we've already had some really interesting chats, and I'm really excited to sit down with you today. You know, the focus of our conversation today is really to understand and learn your secrets of success. And the reason we called it that is because as we look at the celebrity beauty brand landscape, not just here in India, but also globally, recently we've seen a lot of them stalling or shutting down. You know, it seems like there've been so many people with huge followings, lots of fame, who placed their names on products in the beauty industry and it just hasn't worked. But your line, K-Beauty, I'm told, has been described to me as the most successful celebrity beauty line in India. And so today we, we want to learn like, how you did it, right? And not everyone has your level of fame or 77.5 million followers on Instagram. But before we get to the lessons, I want to start with the intention. And I think all good businesses have a real sense of purpose and real intention behind them. You could have started any kind of business, right? You could put your name on anything and probably some people will buy it. Why a beauty business? So when it came to starting K-Beauty and what I think like you said, probably the reason why when we talk about celebrity founded brands, internationally especially, as you said, there's a lot of them that launch and maybe not, they don't sustain. I think with K-Beauty for me, it was because it was personal. And I believe that no amount of communication, no amount of advertising can substitute the fact that the consumer and our audiences can see the truth. They can feel the truth and they can know, they can tell, they can sense what is being sold to them and what is genuinely coming from a place of authenticity by the founder, by the creator. So with K-Beauty for me, it was very personal. Makeup for me has been my passion probably more than it should have <laughs> as an actor. I have always been fascinated by the beauty world, whether it was the models to, I mean, one of my original beauty icons when I was 17 was 
the beautiful Lakshmi Menon, and I was just in awe, you know, of her beauty. And this was something which was always, always so deeply personal to me, makeup and how it can make you feel as a woman. It's not meant to transform you into another creature. It's meant to highlight, it's meant to accentuate what you want to celebrate about yourself. Coming to the company, how we kind of came to that conclusion, it was quite simple. I wanted to make extremely high quality, international standard makeup available and accessible to the Indian consumer. So you asked, why do a lot of companies not succeed? I think you need to know your why. Why are you creating this? For me and for us, it was about creating a product. I know because a lot of people may not know this, but I've been an actor now for, I think, almost 20 years. And for a good, good nine of those years, I did my own makeup for every day on shoot, whether it was a song, you know, there's some very popular songs I've done, people have seen, and most what people don't know. What are of those songs that people might not know that you did? So there's know. a song called Chikni Chameli, okay. uh, Sheila Ki Jawani. I have gone there and I've done my own makeup. <laughs> Anaita will attest to that because she's been a stylist many times. <laughs> and um, I just felt I knew my own face best. And what that advantage gave me is I know products. From a young age anyways, as soon as I was allowed, I would be playing at the beauty counters, playing with products. Being my own makeup artist, I knew what formulations worked. I knew what brands, you know, I followed what worked on Indian skin tones, what was long-lasting, what formulations were too drying. And that was kind of where I was coming from. So a lot of people imagine that oh, I liaise with the team of K-Beauty once a week, and, you know, they came and they showed me products, and I put my name to it. But that's not what happened. I didn't put my name to it. We created it together. Okay. We, we were, I think, about a year and a half delayed from the, on the launch, because we didn't get our foundation formula just right. We didn't get that lipstick just right. So we went back to the board. We sent it back. We kept working with our manufacturers and our teams until we got it perfect. Now, once you get a perfect product, if you don't have the correct price point for your consumer also, then it's not available and accessible. And I and wanted it admittedly, to be- like a big portion of your fan base might not be able to afford the makeup that you were using yeah. to prep for your movies. So like, how did you think about creating both a high quality product and one that was accessible? Because that was always my intention. So I think we spoke a little bit about the importance of the product, creating the product. Product is king. For everyone here in this room who's an entrepreneur or who's wanting to create their own label, of course, we all have to do something in life, and this may be an idea, but firstly, you have to understand your product. Secondly, you have to know who your consumer is, and that marriage has to happen, because if that marriage is not a success, you can have an incredible product that doesn't reach the right consumer. So I think that's kind of where I would really credit a lot to my partners, Falguni Nair and Naika, who had so much incredible data from the Indian consumer, who were able to kind of keep me in control, you know? So if I wanted this very elaborate, gold, heavy packaging, they would say, well, do you want this quality of product or do you want this packaging? And for me, the product is king. And that's why I think we've received so much love from the consumer and from the beauty industry as well, because people are so surprised by how good the products are. And I'm like, mm, people shouldn't be surprised. They should expect that. That's what they deserve. The other um, thing I think to me, which probably is why I believe people can feel 
so much of me in the brand is because there was a lot of personal reasons also, especially with the communication when we launched the brand. I had my experiences where, yes, of course, you've received a lot of praise and you've been lauded for the way you look, but then I've also had times where I wasn't and I was criticized heavily for that and that at times where I was the face of other very well-known beauty brands. Can you tell us about one of those, like give us an example of that. So as a woman, there's many times where you'll be looking your best And then there's some days where to people you're not looking your best. Yeah. Maybe you put on weight. Maybe, you know, you're not quite what people are expecting. And that can make you feel really, really unwanted when you can see that rather than that being accepted and celebrated and you just being acknowledged for who you are, you're being judged so minutely on exactly the way you're looking. And I think from that experience, what it taught me was that when I created my beauty brand, which I always believed and wanted to, I wanted it to be a place where everyone genuinely felt welcome. I think as, as um, Bandana said, you know, the hashtag culture now, of course it's so popular, but that doesn't necessarily mean that some of those things are not genuine, right? They come from a place, I think, of you being on that other side, you knowing how that feels. So right from the communication with K-Beauty, as Lakshmi said, I wanted to see every north, south, east, west faces of India represented. I wanted everyone to see themselves, whether you're dark, whether you're fair, whether you're in between, whether you're eastern looking, whether you're north looking, whether you're from wherever in India. I wanted everyone to see a representation of themselves and also what kind of person you are. Yeah. You know, maybe you're really ultra glamorous. Maybe you're just casual. Maybe you're, you know, whoever it is. Maybe you're plus size. Maybe you're thin. Maybe you're super thin. I wanted that representation to be there on the platform and for it to be a place where you're getting high performance makeup, but you're not intimidated. So if I was just going to recap these first few lessons, it's like know your why. Definitely. Focus incessantly on the product. Don't forget about the trade-offs between product and pricing and what your customer can afford. And also be really clear about the communication. The one thing that you haven't mentioned as a secret of your success is your fame, right? The fact that in an instant, you can reach tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of people. Really honestly, like to what extent was that a factor in how successful this brand has been? Because not everybody has 77 million Instagram followers and not everybody can reach that many people, you know, with the snap of a finger. Like how much honestly has that played in, in, in the success story? I think that gave us the platform, but it's like, you know, um, this conversation that's often talked about in the industry about how people from a film family will get given a platform, but then after that, the success, they have to earn it. Audience is not going to come and support you just because of a name. I feel a very similar way that about, like you said, having this incredible audience. Having the love and support of my fans and my audience has been, I mean, one of the greatest rewards of my life. I think I'm extremely fortunate. But I genuinely believe that the success of K-Beauty is not just the reach that I have on various social media platforms. I really think it is a the product that we went out there, did the groundwork. There are many people who can get away with quickly launching, putting tons of marketing money behind it, get a high revenue and sell the company and that's the end, bye-bye. 
But we did not do that, and we have not done that. We've really done the groundwork, getting the manufacturers, getting the formulations right. Once we did that, once we had the product, after that, I think it's just, it's been that the consumer can see the truth, like I said. They can yeah. see the truth behind what our intention is with it. I believe that every consumer from anywhere, whether they're sitting in New York, whether they're sitting in Bhopal, they can read and they can sense authenticity. And I think they can see that this is an authentic brand. And once they get their hands on the product, I'm pretty confident they're going to come back. Right. Well, someone really smart said to me that knows the beauty industry better than I do that said, you know, fame can sell the first product, but ultimately beauty is a business about loyalty. Like someone might buy something and they use it. And if it doesn't achieve their goals, if it doesn't help with the things that they want to achieve, you know, with the use of that product, they're not going to buy another one. And so like really building loyalty in your business comes from having an excellent product. So we focused on the things that have worked. I'm sure, as with everyone, there have been challenges. What's been the hardest part of building this business for you? You know, they say Rome wasn't built in a day. Well, I want Rome, to, I want Rome and I want it by this afternoon. So the patience part has been the challenge for me. I want it to be available in New York, uh, the GCC market, South Africa, Thailand, all at once, and I want to be in every high premium brand store in India that's selling makeup, and I want to be accessible to everyone. But that takes time, because you have to build a business that can sustain. Right. I mean, I think we can see a lot of examples around us of people that can get to a certain level, but can you sustain that model? Have you built your business in a way that you can sustain that spend, that marketing spend? And I think that's been the biggest learning for me is patience. Slow and steady wins the race. And um, I think teamwork also. Being able to realize that because I'm an extremely passionate person, when I get an idea into my head, I can just kind of follow it blindly. But learning to understand from everyone around me, Falguni and I, who had the experience of the Indian consumer, everyone on the team who's there, Anshit, Advaita, you know, we'll talk, we'll discuss things. My entire K-Beauty team, Vibhuti, Malvika, all of us are day-to-day, -day, literally. I mean, we've been like, we have like day-to-day -day conversations in building this brand. So I think that's been a good lesson for me is yeah. it's teamwork. It yeah. takes teamwork to build a brand. Yeah, no, I, I complete, as an entrepreneur, I completely relate to that. Like not, you can have a vision, but if you can't get other people to believe in that vision and help you achieve that vision, refine the vision, add their own ideas to that vision, it doesn't progress. I also looked at some stage at the first investor deck that I did and you know all the things I thought we would achieve at BOF in the first three years and you know 10 years later we're still trying to achieve some of those things so, so it definitely takes time. Earlier in the earlier conversation with Bandana and Anaita and Lakshmi we we're talking also about the changing definition of beauty in India. You know we talked about colorism, we talked a little bit about size but you know, as, as in someone in your role who has the visibility and influence that you do what role can you play also in helping people to think more expansively about what beauty in India means? Well, I think it's about what you put out there, right? As you said, we have these platforms. Your platform is only as valuable as what you put on it. So what communication we are sharing from K-Beauty? How are we representing that? Who are we representing that? If you are a person who is 
looking up to K-beauty as a consumer, you're just entering into the beauty world and this is all new for you, or you're a person who, as you said, is familiar with me. If you come onto a page, you're going to see that so often that, okay, there's, everyone is represented on this page. This is a very, very diverse community. It's going to start normalizing it. In terms of the beauty industry, I think that's what, what we try to do and that's, that's a constant for us. What about Bollywood? You know, what responsibility does, you know, we heard earlier that so much of the way that beauty is communicated in India is through the films. It's not necessarily just through advertisements that come from brands. Like how much progress is Bollywood making in also expanding the idea of beauty in all the corners of this amazing subcontinent? I'd say a lot of the groundwork and the hard work has been done. Of course, there's always room for improvement, but I think we are seeing so many more diverse faces now in films. And you're seeing people who, you know, are representing different areas of India in that sense. You're seeing that represented in films. I think before it was even more difficult to kind of appreciate that. But I do feel that films and cinema is changing. I mean, you can see, I, I, I see diverse beauty, whether it's now with the OTT platforms, I'm constantly seeing different faces and they're, they're seeing success. And I think that's really wonderful. Okay, last question. You know, when you and I had dinner in London, we talked a little bit about your global ambitions. Like you don't see this as just a brand, a beauty brand for India. You see this as a beauty brand for South Asian people everywhere. What, I know you have to be patient, but what's your dream for where this business can go globally? My dream is that in every conversation, when we're creating a product, I am comparing us to the top international makeup brands at every step of the way. We, of course, have our own identity. We have our own speciality in what we're doing. But I know that this is an Indian beauty brand that can and deserves to be taken on an international stage because it can compare. We haven't tried to take shortcuts along the way. We've really put in the groundwork to create a brand that I think can be represented and be representative of India on an international platform. And that's what I hope to see happen. I really am looking forward to that day where whether it's in New York, whether it's in the GCC countries, whether it's in Thailand, you can see K-Beauty available. And I do believe that will happen slowly and steadily, but as every entrepreneur in this room knows, it is slow and steady, and you have to just constantly hold that vision in your mind, and I believe that it will come. Yeah, well, watch this space, everybody. Thank you so much, Katrina, for your Thank time. Thank you. I think it's amazing that someone who's known for her work in film is also so clearly made to be an entrepreneur. So congratulations on all your success. Thank you so much. Thank you. The BOF podcast is edited and produced by Emma Clark and Eric Bria in the BOF studio team. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAS10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAS10 for 10% off. Marketers and advertisers, brands big and small. You've been after a special someone for a while now. You think they're into you. 
I mean, you share the same interests, both passionate about the same stuff. Why wouldn't they be? Wait. There's a moment of silence. It's finally just you two alone. They're waiting. Go on, shoot your shot. You've got a voice. Use it now. Hearts are racing. Breathing becomes heavier. This is your chance to win them over. So what are you going to say? Get closer to your audience. Make podcast ads with Acast. Head to go.acast.com slash closer to get started.